making a no-budget film, it's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur storming the beaches with the force of a hundred thousand soldiers. Instead, you're you're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. The odds stacked against you. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. Good. So it's funny. We we ended last uh, week's podcast talking about um, you know movies that we watch on a rainy day, and we got just a little, a little bit of a conversation about metal with uh, the movie Deathgasm. Right. It's funny that we were talking about that, and then I think I can speak for you as well. Like we had so much fun talking about metal, and the timing seemed to work out that we thought we should go and uh, both check out the new movie. Uh, Lords of Chaos. Lords of Chaos. I saw it last night. We had to go to a not a lot of theater show in the film. We had to go to a ten o'clock show at the uh, Alamo Draft House, and uh, we were probably I mean probably thirty percent of the theater in attendance. Right, yeah. right. I always find it interesting whenever people talk about films, they don't really factor in um, the movie going experience. Yeah, I think that makes a huge. Uh, uh, you know, Alamo Draft House is one of my favorite places to watch a film anywhere. I've been anxiously awaiting them opening one up in Los Angeles. I actually went to a small uh, cinema that maybe was housing 50, 75 people. It was almost more of a screening than it was like a, a proper theater showing. That's kind of how this one felt too. It wasn't in one of their main rooms. I mean, it was the only showing they had all day. You know, a lot of times independent films, they will do a very limited theatrical release in the range of like... Uh, you know, 20, 20 screenings for a weekend. And that kind of just to pull the curtain back a little bit, that just checks a box so that right. when you go to put your film on a, on demand or on iTunes, you can classify it as a theatrical release. Okay. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I was kind of surprised. I thought there would have been a uh, bigger release. Um, I mean, cause I, I remember, you know, back in the nineties when the churches were burning in Norway and all that crazy yeah. stuff was going on, you know, I was, I was really young, but, uh, you know, in the Christian community, we kind of heard about it. You know, it was uh, kind of a big deal. And I, I, I thought maybe, you know, and this wasn't Amer- This isn't a Norwegian film. It is an American film about an, something that happened in Norway. Right. But I, I kind of thought maybe with, uh, you know, the, the cast of kind of young up-and-comers that uh, there just would have been more of a, an audience for this film. But um, I guess kind of just just like the black metal genre itself, it's, it's kind of a niche thing. Well, so, you know, Lords of Chaos was directed by uh, Jonas Auckland, whom... Um, Directed a film that I love, I haven't seen in a long time, though, which is the movie Spun. You know, the story, for anyone who's not familiar with it, just very briefly, it's a, it's a story about a Norwegian black metal band named Mayhem, who was one of the, the forefathers of that sort of extreme metal. But the story focuses mostly on the uh, founder and guitarist, Euronymous, and his murder at the hands of his former frenemy slash rival slash bass player, um, Vlog. So... You know Varg. the first Varg, sorry Varg. Varg. Yeah. <clears throat> so the first, the first part of the movie, the first twenty minutes of the movie or so is kind of um, was was one of the parts that I related the most to. It's it's a bunch of young guys and you know they're, they're trying to make it, they're trying to find their place in the world and you know it's they all get together and they, they play their types of music and everyone's kind of interchanging in the bands and they party and they hang out and they have a good time and you know they're they're definitely still pushing this sort of idea of like we're evil and we're Satanist and and all these things, but um, what you could, what you really, what really comes across is that these are young people having a good time, trying to play their favorite music in in the way they want to play it. That's right, that's right, yeah. and and um, you know where the film takes a turn, I think actually for the better, uh, is when the singer for Mayhem, um, aptly named Dead or nicknamed Dead, actually commits suicide in, in a scene that is pretty horrific it, it was very graphic um adding i mean i i don't know it added a lot of gravity to a, a film that was kind of struggling to find itself uh, up until that I, point like I, 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 I wasn't really sure where i was supposed to be like am i am i laughing at these goofy metal kids am i uh in shock at their you know crazy lifestyle or like what or am i supposed to feel pity for them uh, and then and then now all of a sudden we're, we're you know just from out of nowhere comes this scene 
of a very graphic reenactment of what was a very brutal suicide. Right, right. It was awkward, honestly. And and I felt like, um, you know, as I've as I've spent more time thinking about my experience watching the film, I had the same initial reaction as you did for the first act of the movie. First twenty minutes or so, I felt really, um, really struggled to find its tone. Really struggled to find its pacing as well from an editorial standpoint. It felt like maybe they were trying to cut it for for timing, and maybe the the first act is what sort of suffered at the hands of that editorial decision. Or, or if it was really just like, hey, let me get you up to speed so we can get into the real story, which is the relationship between Euronymous and Varg. Um, but the first half, the first act rather, certainly struggles to sort of hit its tone. And you're right, like, are we meant to laugh at these people? Are these, is this a comedy? Is this, a, I mean, this is certainly weird, right? Is it a black comedy? Like, what, what, is, what is it and who are these people? But um, I, I wonder if in some ways it, it, serves to act as uh, luring us in right and even in our even in our our um struggling to find what this film is about to be like i don't think you expect even if you know what's coming a scene like that to hit you hard across the face and um when dead commits suicide that's when the film firmly sort of establishes its message and its tone and its story and i think for me that's when I felt completely locked into where the, you know, the story that they were about to take us on. Yeah. I want to point out before we go any further that, um, as we're talking about these characters who, cause all, every character in the film was a, you know, they were a real person. I mean, dad right. was, dad was a real person that like this guy really lived and died very young. He was a kid. And, uh, we're not talking about, I mean, we, we're, you know, we're talking about characters in a film. Like we're not, we don't know anything really about what actually happened. Um, we're not speculating on the uh, lives of the real people, those, you know, living or dead now. Uh, we're just, we're just reflecting on the film because, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, you know, put off anybody out there that was, you know, big fans of these guys or feels like they have a deeper understanding about them. And, you know, we're, we're just going off what we saw in a movie and we're not trying to make any judgments on the real people. Right, and I did a little bit of a deep dive after the film and, and tried to watch some documentaries. And I think there's a line in the opening as the film opens that says, you know, these this story is based on real life events of uh, truth and lies, right? Yeah. And um, and I, I think again, I've watched about three documentaries since last night, and it, it just depends on who you ask. I mean, there was the, really the only people will, that will know what really happened were the people who were there. As that story has has gained an infamy, um, lost of the details. Yeah, plus it was very young, drunk men getting involved in these things. I mean, Euronymous, uh, I think he died at 25. Uh, correct, dead, yeah. I, I, well, he was like 19. Um, you know, so it's it was kids, basically, just trying to, you know, uh, like last week we, uh, we touched on a topic that, you know, kind of like about that moment in... Um, adolescence where certain people in your friends group start deciding it's time for everybody to grow up and, you know, pick mm-hmm. a cause. And, you know, and this, this movie has definitely had a lot of those elements that we were talking about, you know, where it was like, so, you know, suddenly there were bands they weren't allowed to listen to. Um, it, you know, there was a, a true way to be Norwegian black metal and right. you had to do it right. Or you were a poser and, but you know, and, and no, there was no, way to define that so they're all just competing with each other trying to be the most authentic version of this new idea you know because they're they're at war with society now and it's you know and it's like me in the meanwhile you know look how happy they are when the beer arrives you know or when the girls show up i mean they're still trying to have fun and that's what and that's what's sad it's like it's really about like they they want to have a good time but they feel like they also you know at that age uh, they feel like they need the, um, you know, the the uh, authentic experience, the the seriousness, you know, the urgency. They need to make sure that the way they're living reflects, um, you know, something in, uh, bigger than themselves. That it's not well, just about the good times, you know. Right, and I think I think as as we as as humans transition from that that um, stage of being you know, adolescence and under your parents' care and under their watch and trying to find yourself and find yourself in adulthood. I I know I can speak for myself and I think most people would, would also have similar feelings in that you try on a lot of skins, you yeah. know, and sometimes, oftentimes, 
every time you put a new skin on, you take it just a little seriously because you're, you're deep down, you're trying to root yourself in a personality. You know, as the film presents itself, you know, it, it, it presents Euronymous as a character who is, um, you know, he's trying to create, he's trying to, he's trying to build himself up as the leader of this sort of scene. And as he builds himself up and as he starts preaching these ideals, you start to see that people are starting to take it just a little bit more seriously than maybe he ever intended. And certainly with, with the introduction of Varg, who is, you know, as, as Uranus would call him early in the film, a poser, right. right? Where Varg is trying to prove that he's not a poser to such an extreme level. Because at a really important point towards the end, um, as you see this rivalry grow and as you see the, the, the constant attempt to outdo one another from the burning of the churches to the to there's, there's a murder that occurs to this extreme lifestyle and this introduction of Nazism and Satanism and um, there's even a scene where, where Varg is talking to a reporter and he's like so you're in a you're a pagan Satanist Nazi it's a it's a pretty wide spectrum of beliefs right and I think it showcases that they're just they're trying all these different things on to to, to make themselves seem important in a world that doesn't view them as important. And so there comes a point towards the end of the film when you're starting to go into the climax where Euronymous then says, like, it, it, all this evil shit was meant to be fun. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, this was all, this. like, I never intended all of this. You know, Shakespeare called that stage in life uh, the soldier, mm. uh, that, that age of around 17, 18. And um, you can see a lot of that in these guys where they're kind of going like, I, you know, we have to, you know, kill someone. We have to blow up a building. You know, it's like we have to make this action against society. And it's almost like they're, uh, you know, they, they talk a lot about, um, you know, f- stopping the dictatorship of Christianity. You know, right. it's like they're they're becoming soldiers in this, like, stupid war that they see. Uh, and and, um, and it kind of makes sense, you know. It is an age where a lot of... Uh, Young men see their peers go off to fight in military, uh, you know, join the military, fight in wars. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you're just kind of still sitting at home playing video games and, and not really, uh, you know, uh, uh, seeing yourself take on a more um, serious mantle, I mean, it, it can be, uh, yeah, it can be kind of just kind of disorienting. You kind of feel like, what am I doing with my life, you know? So, well, I think, I think within the confines of the society that we live in, yeah, um, you know, our importance in the world is pushed down. We all, as humans, need to find a place in the world and find importance in the world. And um, under the guises of strictly speaking capitalism, and oftentimes, like you're not really able to, and you're not taught to. And so, I think that's very reflective in these characters. I mean, they're, they're in this town. They're all the all the actors, all the all the characters in the band. Um, they all came from nice families. Yeah, they're just suburban kids, Norwegian suburban kids. I mean, That's the right. country's not in any economic hardship. You know, this isn't like, this isn't, you know, England in the early 70s, you know, just it's it's punk rockers in slums. I mean, it's none of that. It's nice houses. It's, uh, everybody's very healthy. Uh, I mean, there's really, there's no dire situation, you know, that they need to, um rise up out of they're going to be okay i mean that's the thing though but even in you know even in an environment where it seems like there's prosperity to be had i think it's telling and i think this is one of the things that i thought the film did an okay job of sort of illustrating but even in an even in a society of of quote-unquote prosperity that the young people still feel oppressed in their own way there's an oppression of identity there's an oppression of their own rebellion their own ability to have a a unique voice and so what they search out to fulfill this need kind of leads them to a pretty extreme path see i think i have a much more cynical view of it man i I don't think that they're really you know sometimes i think young people when they don't feel oppressed that's when they are the most distressed because it's like you you know our stories we hear heroic tales are always people overcoming oppression, you know, underdogs rising up. And, you know, if you're raised to think that that's the way to have an authentic life and to be a, uh, you know, a legit person, you know, like a, like a, to, to have, um, any kind of substance to your life is you have to overcome something and you look around and you're just, 
some happy Norwegian kid playing a nice guitar. There's his parents bought him a guitar and he's got a car and he's got everything, you know, I mean, you're, you're going to have to find that thing to overcome. And if you can't find it, you're going to have to create it. Um, you know, these are based on real life events. So this yeah. is really happening in society. And, and isn't it telling that people whom you know, who have grown up in some of the most, you know, the biggest houses, the most wealthy families tend to get involved with just some pre-rectus behavior, like the high end of drug use, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could, you could just write them off that they're being dumbasses or they're just trying to prove themselves. But, but I think that if you were much more satisfied, if your, if your soul was more enriched, that you wouldn't have to act out in, in these weird sort of extreme measures. Um, and I think that that's a byproduct of the culture. I do think there's a, a sort of societal element to it. I would say, what, what, to, in responding to what you were saying, of when you find yourself in this you know, sanitized, comfortable world, I, I mean, find a nice chair and put your feet up, man. Because it's not yeah. going to last. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean? There are a lot of studies that talk about the human experience. Um, if you look at rates of depression, if you look at rates of opiate and uh, pharmaceutical drugs, you, there is a pattern behind yeah. um, a sterile lifestyle and high levels of depression. And I, I, I don't think that that can be ignored. And I think that it's easy when you're talking about young people to just say, well, they're just they're being morons. And they are. They are being morons. I mean, all, all the characters in this movie – Again, again, as they're portrayed in the movie, not to say that they're like this in real life, but they're dorks. They're all geeks. Yeah, yeah, they're exactly. all They're all like posers. Like that's a, that's a word that keeps getting thrown around in the movie, and it actually, it's actually the final line of the movie. No, I mean to me that the the, the 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 characters in the film represented like they they weren't exactly the smartest kids no. around, you know. Well, they were yeah. kids. That's it. And um, no, but what, more what are than the that, things... I think they were. I think they were kind of a little dumber than the average. Maybe, maybe so, person, but you know, but, you know at least one of the... The, portrayed the film. Yeah, one of the things that the director wanted to, an angle that he wanted to tackle the story from was that no one really, you know, everyone talks about these characters as these monsters and this image that they built themselves up to be. But really, like you said, these are these are young men. These are kids. They're, they're young adolescents who are in many ways as normal as you and I, but, but just got caught up in a scene that started to take itself just far too seriously. Uh, you know, when I was growing up around the same time period, you know, heroin existed on a mass level due to the prosperity, or not due to, but during the prosperity of the Clinton era. Uh -huh. There's a study that was done um, that talked about, that was talking about drug addiction. And it's, uh, the, you know, the, the famous study about rats, you, you put a little cocaine in the water and the rats will keep going back to the cocaine until it kills itself. That was, okay. that's always been used to sort of prove the idea of the chemical hook, right? That right. if you do drugs long enough, you get this chemical hook, and then you're an addict, you're you're a slave to this hook. It's all chemicals and science, and and the the social aspect of addiction is not really tapped into, right? But there was another study very similar um, in which they you know they took you know the, the the initial rat study was done in a tiny little cage, four confined walls, no interaction with other rats. So they took a, uh, a, they made a much larger caged area and they filled it with lots of rats and they filled it with uh, exercise stuff and, you know, things that they could crawl in and crawl around and turn and move and gave them something to do. And they called it Rat Park. And in Rat Park, there were no ODs. And they put, oh, okay. they put cocaine water and regular water as well. And occasionally a rat would go up and take the cocaine water. But largely speaking, they would choose regular water. And the idea behind it is you change the environment. You change the environment to have it be more inclusive, to give them something to do, to have more social interaction. And they chose a less destructive path. So I think it's kind of telling that when you look at a movie like Alpha Dog or you look at a movie like Lords of Chaos, and you, you think about what Norway must have been like during the 90s, and at least as it's presented in this film as being this very sterile, very um, milquetoast society, that what you ended up having is these these massive rebellions on on such a grand scale and maybe maybe these are maybe that's a perfect storm of these kids being kind of dumb or you know i can't imagine that they weren't educated like uh from a from a scholarly standpoint yeah i think what you had was you had you know even in prosperity you can still have a silenced voice you can still have expectations thrust upon you that maybe don't reflect who you are as a person. All right. Uh, Dave, I want to get back to your point, though, about um, 
how the sterile society uh, was similar to the um, empty cage with the cocaine water and, you know, kind of about how maybe, yeah, the sterile, what you considered the sterile society of uh, Norway in the 90s mm-hmm. uh, led to, um, you know, this black metal scene rebelling against it. And uh, I could see where you're coming from that, you know, you've got everywhere you look, there's nothing that kind of looks like you. And also there is the oppressive religion of, of Christianity there present. And, you know, it wasn't from your culture that this religion came. It, it was an invader, you know, but that's in the, in the history. But I, you know, I could see where you're coming from that. It, it that could lead to a little more extreme behavior in the youth, but I, I want to paint a, a different point of view. Um, that has more to do with, uh, the ego of youth mm. than, okay. than really like the, um, you know, the oppression. I mean, I, I don't, you know, there at no point in the film and as I'm quite sure at no point in the history of the actual events, were there any kind of censorship laws preventing them from making their music mm-hmm. or um, any kind of like societal roadblocks in the kind of performance they wanted to give? Uh, as far as I know, they were completely free to give the kind of performance, you know, severed pig heads on stakes, you know, uh, right. uh, you know, lyrics that advocate murder, you know, all the stuff they wanted to do, they were free to do. Because mm. I think it, as far as Norway goes, it's a, it's a pretty open and a pretty free society. And see, that I think is, is the issue. When you have certain egos that, all right, we... Every person wants to look at their life and feel like it's a good story. Mm-hmm. You know, of course. I mean, what are your memories really, but a story you tell yourself well, I would argue about your that, own history? That, yeah, I'd argue so, that's well, not just a, a want, but a, a basic human need for survival. Very tr- Yes, very possibly. Now, let's say you want to be the premier black metal artist or, you know, the, the new metal movement. But the story that well, you're going to have well, not, to tell people—not the new metal movement. Let's be real. No, no, not, <laughs> not the the newest metal movement. Yes, not, yes. Yeah, there was something in the '90s called new metal that was we, happening over here at the same time. Yeah, we won't speak We're about that. We're not talking about that. Nope. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but uh, you know, so you want to be the newest metal movement, right? And you've got bands out there like Venom, one mm-hmm. of their big inspirations, you know, right. that are just doing this really satanic, dark stuff. And what are you going to do? when you make it and you get, you get to meet venom and they're asking you like, where'd you come from? What's your story? You know? And it's, Oh, my parents paid for me to have a recording studio and they bought me a record record store and they bought they Oh, my parents bought us our first tour van. And, uh, Oh, I have a lovely neighborhood. My little sister's the best. You should meet her. You know, it's a stupid, it's, it's in their minds that ego isn't going to allow that to be the story, man. You know, if that's your story of how you became the most evil musician around is that right. you have loving and supporting parents. You know? Well, you know, <laughs> that's, I, that's, that's an interesting point because I think that that was, as presented in the film, very, um, very apparent to Euronymous. I think yeah. he really understood that. I think he was very, he had, he had some insight into how he wanted to present himself. And right. um, well, and and the image that he wanted to cultivate for himself in order to stand out, I think where where it gets a bit sideways is um, you can't always control the scene you create. No, of course, but what I'm saying is, it's not. It, I mean, it's that's the fault of the individual. Like if if you're if you're so concerned about being authentic that you have to create this whole new persona and victimize people and destroy par- property and. And just, you know, fuck up everything around you just so that you can erase, you know, your shameful history that you had a easy upbringing and support from, you know, a loving family because it doesn't match the ideal persona. Uh, I mean, you're, you're just a you're just kind of an asshole. You well, know? yeah. Well, that's my point, though. I think I think, again, it's hard to say fact from fiction, but I think from the standpoint of Euronymous he never intended to actually act these things out. And that's the major point of conflict between him and what? Varg, which is that you're talking the, about just the film though, right? You're well, not in, talking... in this, yeah, in this, in this okay, particular yeah. moment, I'm talking about the film and like, 
Um, I think that, that that what you're saying would be something that the, the, the film version of Euronymous would be keenly aware of. However, I think that the, what, what the, the problem or the, um, the potential downfall for that is that you don't, you're going to draw, you're going to cultivate this, Im- which is essentially just an image, right? And uh, a marketing ploy and um, a good story to cast around yourself when on the weekends you're hanging out at your parents' house as they go skiing and you're watching the television and your nice sweaters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, is that sometimes people take that seriously, you know? And, and sometimes the myth can grow to become its own monster. And so... I think what you uh, one of the key components of this film is that is whether or not the the world that Euronymous created was he was still being authentic to, and and what you attracted was this bard who I think really in, in many ways less is less about a real person and more a, a stand-in for a type of of um, a, a lack of control that can happen to any kind of movement or scene, you know. Uh, and you see it anywhere. You see it anytime you any sort of new scene gets created. There's always that that moment, that element that just gets a little out of control. You know, starts to become a little too self-aware, a little too serious, and um, it can morph into something that that you really never intended it to be. I give you an example. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why I think I connected so much to this film is because, you know, when you and I were growing up in our late teens, early twenties. We were playing in bands and, and, you know, going to shows and, you know, mostly punk rock and hardcore. And, and I remember, like, being parts of bands that would cultivate an image that yeah. was, at least from my perspective, I won't speak for anyone else, was never intended to be taken seriously. And um, over time, what I found was that it started to become more serious. And I remember there was a, there was a guy... Um, who was younger than us, you know, he was probably two, three years younger than us, maybe still in high school. And I, I remember like on uh, the old AOL chat, maybe, or Yahoo chat, something back then, dating myself. Uh-huh. He, he was like, uh, you know, a lot of people in this scene were, were straight edge and vegan or vegetarian and all comes from a good place, total understandable place. Um, but it became, it started to become a little militarized at some point. Yeah. It yeah. started to become very divisive. I'm sorry? The soldier, right, the exactly. Soldier. Yeah. It started to become divisive, you know? And um, I remember that there was this, this, this young man, couldn't have been older than 17, you know, he was um, he was like, uh, he, he went to some hardcore show, and, and I didn't go to that one, and he said, uh, oh, man, you'd be so proud of me. We were, like, dancing in the pit, and I saw this girl drinking a beer, and I spun kicked and kicked the beer out of her hand. And wow. I remember, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I was like, Oh shit! What do we do? I remember even at that age, I remember thinking like, "That's not that's not what I, that's not what I ever intended." Like, I, and I told him, "I was like, what are you doing kicking a girl? What, what what's wrong with you? Like, how He's did you being being how, authentic? Yeah, and that's and yeah. that and therein lies and that's what what I sort of found myself being a part of and being one of the older kids is like that's never ever what I intended to happen. What what was intended to happen? You know, to to sort of still to still Euronymous's line, it's like all this evil shit was supposed to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's so dumb. I mean, it's like, and it's for what, because some, we listen to some music that has some lyrics that kind of describe that kind of thing. So you're going to, you're going to take that on as your personality now. Well, what, what I think is, I think to your point is like, you need a cause when you're young, you know, you, you need you some, need well, you don't one. need it, yeah. but like, but, but I do think, and in fact, I, I think if there is a, a thing about society that is to cause, you know, is to blame for a lot of this stuff, society telling young people they need a cause that might be the big problem. If you look at, I mean, one of the, that, that line where the, where the journalist is telling Varg, like you believe all these contradictory beliefs all at one time. They don't make it, that doesn't make any sense. How can you be, how can you be a Satanist and yeah. a paganist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to talk about authenticity, man, because we've sure. used that word a few times so far in this episode. And I think what happens in scenes like that is a lot, you know, not, young people, artists, everybody wants right. to be authentic. Everybody, you, and you should be, you should try to be authentic, try to be yourself, you know, but are you try? are you striving to have authenticity to yourself or to be your, your authentic self? Or are you 
confusing that with op- authenticity towards sure. genre. You know, uh, we, and I, that's what I saw in the film was it was, it was all about what is the true Norwegian right. black metal. You know, don't be a poser. You know, like I said earlier, you're not allowed to listen to that band. You know, and um, I see that a lot. Uh, I saw that a lot growing up, mm-hmm. and I still see it uh, because I enjoy the uh, punk yeah. scene. I like punk music, punk rock. You know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I I go to a lot of uh, you know I still go to a punk concerts and and um, what you're starting to see is this um, you know I, I mean and I'll tell you what man me showing up with like my tucked in cowboy shirts <laughs> and uh, right you know, <laughs> shiny shiny black shoes and leather belt you know it's it's um, I get some looks man but what you're seeing now is the kids are like like almost like costume precision 70s right. punk rockers again and it's hilarious because I'm not talking about in New York, man. I'm not out there. I'm I'm talking about going out to San Antonio, right. you know. <laughs> and like, here's here's some kid. He's like 17, uh, you know. He's got his leather jacket on, um, you know. He's got the Germs T-shirt with the blue circle, uh, you know, stonewashed, uh, you know, almost white denim jeans. And th- I mean, I'm no no lie. Yeah. I saw this kid in San Antonio had a Queen of England butt flap. You know what's yeah, you know, you know yeah, the butt flap. That. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's where it's where the punk like needs a little extra something, so he makes a you know takes a little piece of fabric with a design and just flaps it over the butt. You know, just for a little extra punkness. You know, uh, or maybe it's because they wear tight jeans and it's like they don't want you by mistake that they're trying to look sexy, so they they cover. You know, for, well, it's well, punk modesty. Are you, are you, maybe you know, don't look at. But but I'm looking at this kid, man. Queen of England right. hanging over his ass. Are you familiar with the yeah. board's uh, Society of the Spectacle? Basically what he talks about is um, authenticity being replaced by representation, right? Um, and and right. So, so as I understand it in the more layman terms, some might even say moronic terms, it's that your, your, true, your true authentic self is being sold back to you, is being prepackaged back to you. So if you look, if you look at okay. the way society has grown, right, um, what these movements that were created out of an authentic place, right, um, you know, late 1970s punk rock guys were growing up in a certain environment that's, that, that pushed them to create a certain look that was very representative of, of what they were actually experiencing, what they were trying to do, right? Fast forward, you know, 25, 30 years, and, and that same authenticity has been repackaged and is now being sold back to you. So you're representing something, but in an inauthentic way. So to some degree, it is fashion, right? It's, it's, it's um, prepackaged, sealed uh, rebellion. I, I remember in the 90s, this became very apparent to me when I saw, um, oh, who's that fashion? Mark Jacobs. Mark Jacobs? He did the, uh, the flannel shirt runway, you know, the, the grunge runway. Right now, okay, at the time yeah. of grunge, people were wearing flannels and stuff like that because it's cold and wet up there, right? It was an authentic. It was an authentic. Uh-huh. Um, it was an authentic look to that time period, to that genre. It wasn't a fashion, you know. To to your point, the Ramones uh-huh. don't look like the Sex Pistols, don't look like the Circle Jerks, don't look like the Descendants. But they're all punk. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the film Lords of Chaos has a lot of flaws in it. I don't think it's a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but no but I, I do because I relate to it so much. Because I could see myself in some of these characters, not the death and arson parts, but like the the, cert, the desperate search for identity, the loss of of a scene becoming just fun. Really. And, uh, and, and it transforming into something that you're like, oh, I don't want to be a part of this. This is not what I wanted, right? Like, I, because I related so uh-huh. deeply with that, I, really, I ended up really enjoying the film. Um, the, the other stuff, the more factual stuff, is all very interesting. Um, but I think that sense of youth 
is not often captured in cinema, and I thought it was it was done in a really a really clever way in this yes, film. I, I still don't really know what they were trying <laughs> to say, man. I mean, when watching the characters have conversations about true Norwegian black metal and you know what's the true way and. Um, I mean, I just felt like it missed its mark. I was going, you know, am I supposed to relate to this? Like, it, well, should I worry about no, what's true Norwegian black metal? Or, am I, or are they showing me this conversation as an example of how these kids are kind of yes, yes. ridiculous? Well, I, you mean, know? I, I mean, like, I, Matt, I wasn't really Matt, sure what I was supposed to give them. How many times do you remember that? growing up where someone said, yeah, uh, one, one of us, us, one of us, right? right? So, like, I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember one time the singer from my old band came up to me and he said, uh, Hey, we're not friends with this girl anymore. I said, "Oh, we're not," because uh, I, I didn't get the memo. He's like, "No, she and our other friend broke up, so she's out of the family." And I'm like, "Oh my uh, god!" So um, yeah, I think the point is to show you that this is ridiculousness, but it's real. It's 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 really what scenes go through. And so yeah, I I, I, I read some reviews that were talking about that line, like true, you know, Norwegian black metal, and it's like yeah. it's like uh, it's like somehow reviewers are sort of like really hung up on that being not authentic sounding and we keep using this word authentic but like not real sounding but man but man i'm oh, telling right, you yeah. I, I think you could you could attest like we've heard oh, some no. ridiculous comments on par with that in the same way yeah i i agree with that i i did feel that um even though I, like i said i'm not really sure what the director was trying to what mood sure. he was trying to give with that like uh i definitely could imagine people like that having serious conversations that involve the 100 percent norwegian I guarantee you that happened too are you really hardcore yeah. are you really goth who doesn't know that person who's like you're not part of our mm -hmm. inner circle you're not part of the family you're not part of this. you're not true norwegian black metal i'm gonna start i'm gonna start saying that <laughs> actually i one thing i i do say i i like i have a phrase that i say right. that's not very metal and uh you know it's like uh friends call like hey man we're meeting downtown at the piano yeah. bar you know we're gonna sing along with a bunch of yuppies I'm like, That's <laughs> not <very metal."> you know? <laughs> like uh hey dude i'm thinking about voting for trump you know he's kind of got some good plat yeah it's yeah. not very metal bro you know and it's just something i say and uh but i think i will that's not true Norwegian i think, black I think, metal. I think i'm gonna just it's pretty good <laughs> it has a nice ring to it um i thought it was telling this was a a purely cinematic choice but you know um because I don't know that this actually occurred. My understanding is Euronymous got stabbed and he was in his underwear like at four in the morning. But in the film, oh, okay. they have him cut his hair and have this nice blue button-down shirt. He looks like a total yuppie. Yeah, and his apartment is very yeah. Ikea. Yeah, and I, I think that would yeah, have to be totally. symbolic of him attempting to grow out of that, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, and then he's, I mean... He's uh he types up the contract on Mayhem right. stationery, like like he has Mayhem custom stationery with right. the band's logo, and in his electric word processor he's like typing right. up the contract. You know, it's like yeah, it's it's a business. It's right. and he talks he says, about that. He says sell too. Uh, don't sell out sells. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and it's but I true. think I think it's yeah. it's uh, it's a nice sort of metaphor for that person who's never allowed to lead, leave that part of themselves. You know, when, when your tries yeah. to leave behind this sort of fictional identity that he created in this, this out of control scene that has, has gone from, from, you know, a good time to parody to self-destructive that he's, he's actually killed from it. You know, that the thing that he built in many ways destroys him. It leads to his destruction for sure. And speaking of the destruction, uh, the destruction, the destruction of the churches. Okay. I, I want to talk about that for a second because I know this is way off topic from where you were going, but that was something I learned in the film. Like I, I remember when this book Lords of Chaos came out and it was kind of a hot read for a while. And, you know, um, it was like we, we all kind of started learning the, uh, in, um, the inspiration for why they were burning down churches, that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't so much that they were devil worshipers, but they also kind of saw the Christian church as like invaders into Norway that were right. taking over and, and, and erasing their history. You know, there's a line in the film about how it used to be uh, an altar for Odin uh, on that location. And now there's a Christian church here. And, you know, how how disrespectful is that? And, and I remember like when I kind of when the book came out and I actually heard that, like, oh, a lot of this was about 
right. you know, paganism and about driving out the uh, invaders. And I thought, no, that's in that case, you know, the church well, thing. I mean, I, I, well, yeah, well, I, well, I kind of went from like, you know, when I was younger, like, like a little kid when it was happening, like, oh my God, people are burning up churches. That's crazy to like getting a little older, you know, kind of going like, well, you know, uh, build a library there instead or something. Yeah, well, like, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. And, 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 but then like watching the film, uh, these were really yeah. cool churches, man. Like I didn't, I didn't realize they were those churches. You think burning down a church, you think, uh, uh, in Texas, uh, usually aluminum buildings, right. well, you know, you know uh, <laughs> or or some big mega churches, but these were like rad old cathedrals and like not not cathedrals, but like old, you know, really cool churches with like, uh, what do you call that kind of architecture? No, it's not I mean, quite it's Gothic, region, but it's like it's you know, hundreds. It's very Viking esque, yeah, you know, dramatic, I mean, cool. So, like when I was watching, yeah, when I was watching the movie, I was just like. Oh crap! Know, that church is super cool. Don't burn that down. <laughs> like, what are you well, doing? Well, you know, man? It's, it's, uh, we, we, you know, I think we plugged their podcast last week, but our friends over at Regrettable Century had a, a two-part series that talked about a, a gothic strain Marxism. And and to uh-huh. sum it up, what they were talking about is that there is an innate need within humans to reconnect to nature, um, which you can see very visible in the rise of paganism, neo-paganism. Um, to connect with identity, to connect with um, your upbringing and your heritage that oftentimes in in left-wing politics and circles kind of gets left behind a little bit. Like you, you think about, um, there was a, oh God, who just said it? Oh, Bill, Bill Maher just said uh, just yesterday maybe that like the red states, the Midwestern states, the flyover states, they, they just want to be the blue states. You know, they just want to be the coastal cities. And I think what he misses is that, um, huh. you know, uh, so much of the South, even the even a city like the South of Rosgen and, you know, Southern Heritage, there's a there's an innate. You put, shouldn't right, put the clean on your butt. To sort of go back to your roots and to solidify your roots and to like really sow them, you know, into something. And, and uh, it, it's not just symbolic, it's tangible. I think that we I mean, how many times have you just felt better when you just get out of got out of the city for a little while and get into nature and get around some trees and. And see a river or whatever it may be, right? Those are those are things uh-huh. that we've lost as society has become more um, uh, industrial and technological that we still need as humans, right? And the left tends to ignore those things in lieu of like a, I don't know technology and advancement and progression. Whereas I think you know, again, we've talked about these these young men trying to find this identity. Unfortunately, the right tends to do a real good job of adopting those ideas into their ideology. So this idea of uh, reclaiming your heritage, this idea of you know um, solidifying it and protecting it from outside invasion, I think that's that's one of the things you know if you've watched these sort of these young men evolve and they're trying to find themselves like they're they were easy pickings for the sort of neo-Nazi ideology to, to take root aside from the fact that they're all trying to be counterculture and evil and shock value right for, for these young men who are growing yeah. up in this for lack of a better term this ikea world this western influence um and this and this uh, you know catholic influence to take them away from something that came that was that's older and more ancient i think you could see where they they viewed this as something they viewed this as a as a symbol of oppression. Oh yeah. I mean, I could definitely see where they're coming from with that, but I'm just saying, I think more important, like their motivations had a lot more to do sure. with their own ego and the kind of dynamic person they'd like and, to be and, than, uh, anything to do with, you know, society caused this, this is what you get, you know? And I, cause I, I think if it, if, if that was the case, you know, people watching the film would, would be able to relate to these guys and be like, yeah, I could see that, you know, but it, but there's nothing relatable, really. I mean, th- not nothing, but not much, it's man. It's tough cause, I mean, because it's, they take it so far, you know. You know. Yeah, and m- mainly I'm talking about the character. Well, and you can Connor, make the argument that uh, and uh, Euronymous, because uh, Dead was in his own. I found thing. Dead he to be just, the most likable character. One of those unfortunate. He, well, well mo- I, mean, I mean, he likes to. Sh- I, I like no, cats. I, uh, if I don't want to spoil <laughs> that, but if you watch the film, that might interfere with your likability of of uh, Dead. But but at least you know. I, I do see him as one of the most authentic right. characters. I mean, he was, 
he was very strange and, and, and very, you know, he just was what he was. And, um, it's unfortunate what he was because he didn't like being what he was and he, yeah. and he killed himself. But, uh, you know, it, it yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying though. Like for the most part, I mean, the guy that goes out and just murders someone to be able to say he did it, you know, cause they're in this competition among each other. I mean, that was, that was ridiculous, man. There's no, there's no way you can pin that on like his well, environment. Again, I, mean, I mean, that's, that's just that's like some 100%. big ego. That's like my desire to be cool is more important than your desire to right. live your life. And, and I know it's not the same thing, tomorrow. but you know, the, the, the motivation to spin kick some innocent girl cause she's drinking a beverage that you don't drink, you know, like I can, yeah. I can see it because I have seen it in my real life. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I'm just having a hard time picturing, or is this like a, like a Jean-Claude <laughs> Van Damme sort of scissor kick where like he kicks the cigarette out of the guy's mouth, but it was like, the bottle goes know. flying I was, from her hand. I wasn't, she's like, what? Yeah, I don't know. Or was this like a straight no, up boot to no, the head? No, no, I think this was like and, a... You know, she's down. I think this, this, this young man whom you know was a, a tall, lanky young young kid. And I, I imagine that what you what you got is this very awkward, off-balance, sort of spinning spinning <laughs> attempt at a, at a Chuck Norris kick that probably, you know, probably... Who's yeah. to even say it actually landed on the march? She probably just thought... She probably just like, out of the fear of shock, the... the, the the, the mere shock of seeing this lanky, awkward, acne-ridden kid like trying to do this ninja move at her, probably just drop the <laughs> beer, like you know, be like, "What? What is going on here?" Um, I, I'm gonna guess maybe like uh, like a Chuck Taylor clumsily struck the side possibly, of this person's arm and kind of knocked the drink into the next person and got some on yeah. their jacket and then lost her grip yeah, on it and it fell yeah. to the floor. <laughs> yeah. And, and that went, whoa, that was awesome. Then, you know, what some, I just did. Some, some yeah. Other ninja kicks were done. And, but you know, yeah. but my point okay. is that I, I have, I've witnessed a less sinister version of this scene play out. And so I, I that to me is like, okay, I, I get, I see that. Like, this is an interesting way to tackle this subject matter as to present it as a as a childhood as a youth movement falling apart i did look up um varg on the internet and yeah he looks exactly uh-huh. like what i would imagine yeah. a norwegian yeah, Trump supporter a... would look like and i think he i think he actually runs a, yeah. uh, a podcast too he's now a, he's a... where he just talks about yeah he's, uh, a, he's a neo-nazi and all the great racist things yeah so 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 uh, which uh so so yeah apparently some of the characters in the film who seem idiotic, idiotic in the film yeah idiotic in real life too actually it is yeah i mean i i guess looking at looking at the film as a as a whole would you would you recommend it for people i mean what's your like what's your overall impression of the film as you've you've had a day to think about it and and this discussion and just sort of what's your what's your come away from it uh i would say <laughs> just read the book uh the film not not that interesting. Uh, the violence in the film, just totally gratuitous, unnecessary. And um, the main story is just, it's not something I could get find any importance in. I don't really care if, you know, someone is true Norwegian black metal or not. And I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be, um, like I said, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be laughing at these characters or relating to these characters. I, I wasn't really sure the message. It was confusing. And... Um, and just seemed it just seemed to miss its mark over and over and then just yeah the additions of you know every you know ever so often these really gratuitous violent murder scenes uh you know in a film about music to put a horror movie style murder scene multiple times it's just kind of like what is going on here yeah. this is it was awkward well, I, I felt I, awkward yeah I, I mean i took my yeah. i took my girlfriend with me and she doesn't you know she doesn't care about Norwegian black metal or anything like that. She, you know, but she thought it might be interesting, but you know, for her to make her have to sit there and like watch these, uh, you know, just every knife going in and out for, you know, and a stabbing death. And, uh, it was just kind of like, what is the point of this scene? Well, I, like, I mean, we know, we know murder's well, wrong. No, I, I is that think, what they're trying I, to I, portray? So from my perspective, I had weird. Uh, really the almost the opposite reaction in that, um, I, I, I got that they didn't allow facts to get in the way of the story. And what the story really is, is it's the corruption of youth. And in the, in the hunt for identity, there's a, there's a corruption that can occur. And um, I thought they did a very good job of showing it. 
I thought that, um, you know, for me, the murder scenes are real. And I think that it, I think that showing them is, yeah, they they're are. Gross. They're real gross and they're gratuitous. But I think because in so many times, what, there's a real, there could be a real danger in that people watching this film start to adopt a philosophy that the film is meant to parody or to mock. I think you saw that in a film like Fight Club, where Fight Club was mocking capitalism, commercialism, uh, tribalism, and yet, what's the most favorite phrase for right-wingers, which is snowflake, which is lifted right out of that movie, right? It was meant to, it was, it was, it was, it was, I like being called a, a snowflake, man. Snowflakes right. are well, unique, if you look baby. At, I mean, cool. If you look at Fight Club, Fight... <laughs> and they're cool. Oh. I, I bet you there's a whole bunch of fans of black metal that's like, ah, uh, you know, even even Euronymous is like, hey, Dead did something cool. No, he didn't. And we see it. And we keep going back to it. And we keep realizing that even he doesn't believe it's cool. You know? Well, that, that I will say, that was one scene that I was... Um, I did think was appropriate the way they portrayed that, that it was a, you know, such a horrific I mean, act, but the murders, even the murders I, I feel like, like, you know, like um, this people who probably listen yeah. to black metal who are like, yeah, stab a guy in the park, this mythology that's built up around this band and people think it's cool and it's not cool. And, and I think the point is you show it warts and all so that people don't think it's cool. I guess, yeah, I guess showing those murders so close up and personal like that does kind of show how it is, a very strange interaction between two people and it's not like you know like a lot of movies where it's just an instant yeah done you know one guy looks cool the other yeah. guy's dead Even those guys watching like, those horror films and watching you these know, murders on you like sur- i mean surprised surprised victims like talking to fighting you while back. they're killing them trying yeah fighting back and asking you what are you doing and yeah it was, that was pretty yeah i guess so it's just uh i just think sometimes a film has to really establish uh, the right to, to, you know, sure. add that much gravity to uh, an experience. And uh, just, yeah, it may, may it not have like I said, my big criticism of the film is that um, it doesn't do enough to let you know what it's trying to do. So, uh, yeah. so, you know, right. I, I like, like the band itself and like the story itself, it's a, it's a little bit of a controversial subject. Um, and so I, I would say for our audience who might be interested, even whether you're a fan of metal of any sort or uh, just a fan of films or just want to see you know, what you, where you lie on the conversation, I recommend if you can catch it, especially in the theater, go see it. Check it out for yourself. Let us know what you thought about it. And uh, we'll carry on the conversation. Like what, um, what is Lords of Chaos? Is it a, a great thought-provoking uh, reflection of adolescence and the corruption of it in the search of identity and purpose in the world? Or is it... Uh, just sort of a an okay film that or confusing, confusing mess. mess. You know, is it, <laughs> that made it, me want to leave much it like black metal, you'll either hear symphony or noise. You've been listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the True Norwegian Black Metal Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and wherever all fine podcasts can be found.